This week on episode 525 of Priority One, Jeffrey Combs speaks in Evil Robot about his appearance on Lower Decks. Prodigy showrunners drop some details about the series a month out from the premiere, and it's confirmed the TNG cast really are one big happy family. In gaming news, the new Tier 6 remaster of a classic workhorse starship comes to Star Trek Online. And finally, we enter the Holopod and look at the latest episode of Lower Decks, I Excretus. You're listening to a Roddenberry podcast. Command codes verified. Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secure channel. Hello, Captains. You're listening to episode 525 of Priority One, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. Your weekly recap and review of all the major news happening in the Star Trek multiverse. This episode was recorded on Tuesday, September 28th, and available for download or streaming on Friday, October 1st at PriorityOnePodcast.com. I'm Elio. I'm Kat. And I'm Roscoe. Roscoe, welcome back. It's good that you are feeling better and have recovered in part from your bout with Andorian shingles. Yes, thank you. Oh, I would not mess with Andorian shingles because when you get a cold, you really get an Andorian cold. (laughs) So I cannot recommend it at all. But no, feeling good, getting uh, on the mend and feeling much better. So you just got, sometimes you got to take a little time for yourself. And if that means you've got to go and play video games and rest, and relax and that's just what you've got to do so absolutely happy to do that well it's good to have you back buddy thank you mate lovely to be back and uh, great to uh, catch up with you all as well thank you for your very kind words last week and uh, yeah lots to talk about this week and uh, cannot wait well before we jump into it we want to welcome new listeners to the show and hope you'll stay in touch you see this show is produced by a community of volunteers who donate their time and talents because they're passionate about what Star Trek is all about so we hope you'll get involved and be a part of our community. Follow us on social media so you can share your thoughts about the weekly headlines. Join the Armada so that you can experience Star Trek gaming with like-minded Trekkies. Or consider joining the team and lending your skills and passion to producing this show. Or if you find value in this podcast, a way you can support us financially is by joining our Patreon family. It's at patreon.com forward slash priority one. There's lots of different tiers available, so it doesn't have to be a lot. A little always helps. So if you are in a position to do that, and not everyone is, but if you are, then please consider checking us out. Uh, there's different levels there. Patreon.com forward slash priority one. Now let's find out what's been happening in the Star Trek multiverse. Jump what places. I don't know. Then let's trek it out. A great actor makes you feel. Whether joy, anger, love, hate, a truly gifted craftsperson makes you ache for their presence, be it revered or reviled. We Star Trek fans are graced with many such actors and characters. Nimoy's Spock, Goldberg's Guinan, Combs Weyoun, 
Combs Brunt, Combs Pank, Combs Tran, Combs, well, you get the picture. This week, io9 sat down with the prolific Star Trek trooper, Jeffrey Combs, to talk about our latest favorite Combs role, the devious supercomputer, Agamus. Combs had glowing things to say about the writing staff of Star Trek Lower Decks, explaining to James Whitbrook of io9 that drew him into the show. Quote, I like the script a lot, and I'm really happy with how it turned out. I find it, the show, just to be really witty, rapid fire. The joke is past you before you go, uh, what? A different tone from any Star Trek I've ever done. And I kind of like that. It's refreshing. It doesn't take itself quite so seriously as some of the other iterations. End quote. While Combs was complimentary of Lower Decks, he wasn't shy about his feelings towards the entertainment industry. When asked whether he'd return to a live action version of the franchise, Combs said, quote, you have to be asked to dance. You have to be invited. It's really not up to me, but I kind of feel I still have some gas in the tank. But you know, when it comes to commerce and entertainment, it's just like cereal, new and improved. So I don't really know what goes through decision makers' minds, but there always seems to be some sort of disconnect between what the fans would enjoy and what they wind up doing. Not always, not always, end quote. To find out how Combs felt about playing the antagonist, his thoughts on voice acting, and much more, be sure to follow the link in our show notes at priority one podcast.com. Just plug him in, man. I know. He can go anywhere. He can do anything. Just plug him in. That's all we need to do. Just get him and plug him in. He even asked to be plugged in. And he did ask nicely. So just plug plug the guy in. You know, I I, I, I wonder why they would be hesitant to bring someone like him back. I mean, we have an actor like Kenneth Mitchell who has played several roles on Discovery and did so like a chameleon because of his craftsmanship as an actor. You know, Jeff- And they saved money on the plot. Right, right, right. They did save money on the plastic casts. Right, right. Uh, and he was, of course, helped by the disguise of the prosthetics. Uh, yeah, I, I, I think I would, I'd be cool with having Jeffrey Combs come back on a live action show, even if it's for like a random Andorian or something. You know, some random alien character. Yeah, strand descendant or yeah, descendant, right? But I wonder if they feel about him the way JJ felt about Old Trek, where it's like, nah, we don't want to have anybody come back. I guess not though, because they like Jonathan Frakes is. Jeffrey Combs has always added depth to his characters. He added it to Andorians. He added it to Ferengi. He added it to our good friend, Wayun the Vorta. So is there a character, is there a race in Discovery? Is there a race in Discovery that needs more depth? We're seeing potentially a lot more depth and exploration of uh, Saru's race. So let's get him there. Let's throw him in the mix and make him a Kelpian and add depth. That would be my suggestion. Remember when he played that? I was just watching DS9. He played that one uh, alien, and I don't even know what race species they were. That was obsessed with Kira and wanted the holodeck uh, image of her for shenanigans on the holodeck. Yeah, that's just creepy alien number two. (laughs) Yeah. I'm sure he had a name. The character did have a name, but it was creepy alien number two. Well, it was definitely good to have him back, and uh, we hope that it won't be the last time we see him in New Trek. Now, some news that, as Star Trek fans, we've all known for a while, but it's heartwarming to see it confirmed. Yes, the cast of The Next Generation really do all like each other. In fact, they're all incredibly close. In an interview with The Express in the UK, Marina Sirtis confirmed that the cast do indeed see themselves as a family. They've been friends since the early days of the series, and the producers hated it. Quote, They hate when the cast like each other because they talk. 
Producers don't want you talking. They want us all hating each other and being competitive with each other so that they can lie to you, end quote. Sirtis explains how after the death of her husband, it was the crew who were there for her soon after. LeVar Burton, Brent Spiner and Michael Dorn all immediately visited with Sirtis on the day her husband, Michael Lamper, died. She also spoke about the support she received from Gates McFadden. For the full interview, check out our show notes. I love her. She never, like, fails to just say what's up. <laughs> She's just no nonsense and also hilarious. Yeah, she calls a spade a shovel, definitely. Akiva Goldsman has been extremely busy of late, acting as an executive producer and co-showrunner for both Star Trek Picard and Strange New Worlds. If those two roles weren't keeping him busy enough, he also wrote and directed the pilot episode of Strange New Worlds. Goldsman told TrekMovie.com that it was really important to him that he set the tone and the style of the show, saying, quote, I really wanted to make a show that would have appealed to the 12-year-old me that went to that Star Trek convention in 1974. And it felt like the best way to do that would be to kind of help set the tone visually and really more in storytelling, end quote. He also notes that the audience will notice some changes in the uniforms and sets from how they appeared in Discovery since he wanted it to look more in line with the original series. As we've mentioned in previous episodes, Strange New Worlds will be episodic and Goldsman expounds on that saying, quote, our characters will carry with them what they suffer from or what they learned from episode to episode, but the stories are episodic, end quote. In addition to the show being episodic, Goldsman says that the show is meant to be an ensemble piece, so it won't just be the Pike show. While it won't go into every character's backstory each episode, there will be a focus on different characters as the show goes on. I'm wondering if at one point there will be a temporal anomaly uh, and we'll see an appearance from an old favourite because Akiva Goldsman mentioned that the characters are going to suffer, so maybe there'll be an appearance from uh, Chief Miles O'Brien. What do you mean? He suffered every season. He suffered and was <laughs> tortured every single season of Deep Space Nine. He went through some incredibly traumatic event. He could never just have a nice exploratory really episode. It's like, no, Miles, we're going to make you suffer. We're going to send you to prison for the rest of your life, except that happened in two hours, and now go back to your life. Come on! But wait, you're suggesting that maybe Miles will do some kind of timey-wimey thing to come back into the era? <laughs> well, they mentioned suffering, so immediately my first thought is, obviously they're going to bring back Chief O'Brien uh, because they want people to suffer. I see, I see. I didn't realize that Goldsman was co-show running both of these shows, um, which I find fantastic because he really is a Star Trek fan. You know, I'm cautiously optimistic. I don't know that I trust Akiva Goldsman. I, I, yeah, I, I don't know that I trust him. I, I haven't really enjoyed much of anything he's ever produced. And every time I watch something that he's produced, he finds a way to inject himself somehow into the movie. Most recently, there was that movie with, um, that I think was a Tom Clancy kind of adaptation with uh, with the actor. Um, I forget the actor's name, but like it just wasn't that good. It was on Amazon Prime. It was a, a movie on Amazon Prime, and it just wasn't that good. And and Akiva Goldsman was executive producer on that, and also managed to inject himself. It was like a screen of of you know the CIA's most wanted, and one of the pictures was him, and it said Akiva Goldsman under the name. So uh, you know, I I think the man has great intentions, but some 
somehow things just slip through his finger. Maybe he's just so excited. It's like that scene in Tommy Boy where, you know, I just have this beautiful little pet and then I crush it. Rah! Right? That Anybody? Tommy Boy? Nobody? All right. Well, anyway. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. But I'm like, please don't let that be the case. I'm like, oh, no. I just feel like Akiva Goldsman is like Tommy Boy. And, and yeah, I just and that's what happens with the shows. Well, he's certainly injecting hmm. himself in this because he's written the pilot. Right. Right. So. Right. Yeah, and direct, no written and directed. So, yeah, if that first episode is... I, I think it's going to be amazing. I certainly hope so. Akiva, if you're listening, let's remember that Chris Farley was a national treasure. <laughs> Akiva, if you're listening, come on the show. <laughs> that too, that too. Star Trek Prodigy is a month away from its debut, and the showrunners are dropping some tiny Trek nuggets in some lead-up interviews. In a chat with Trek Movie, Prodigy executive producers Kevin and Dan Hageman and co-executive producer slash director Ben Hibben reinforced the idea that this new series, specifically for kids, is an entry point for the franchise. Kevin Hageman said, quote, While these are kids in our show, they're in the adult world of Trek and they're gonna slowly discover it and have their falls and their victories and stuff. It really is a show for people who have not experienced Trek before, end quote. The journey of the Prodigy crew starts in the Delta Quadrant, with many familiar races that Voyager came across. In the interview, the producers mentioned that there are very well thought out reasons why we will see so many alpha species in the Delta Quadrant, but that no one has really got it yet. No one has really figured it out. They also mentioned that the USS Protostar was launched after Voyager returned home, but then quickly halt the conversation around the prototype's secret origins. The show takes place in 2383, five years after Voyager returned home. Yeah, I don't know why, like, when the show takes place was so such a secret. Yeah, it, it takes place, obviously, after Voyager came home because we have a Captain Janeway hologram with all the experience that she's had in the Delta Quadrant. And they mentioned that it's all logs and, and the expertise that's been gathered along the way downloaded that into a hologram. My theory is that this is further fallout from the caretaker from Voyager because he'd been bringing ships to the Delta Quadrant long before Voyager. We had the Equinox, we had the Cardassian Dreadnought missile. So the Diviner, who's played by John Noble, he's been taking advantage for a long time of lost starships and crews and putting them to work because the caretaker had been bringing them in. That's why we we may see more Alpha Quadrant species in the Delta Quadrant. That's my theory. Throwing it out there. Fascinating theory. Fascinating. Well, I'm mm-hmm. I'm looking forward to watching the premiere at New York Comic Con on that Sunday. When is that? So, Roscoe, that is happening on Sunday, October 10th. New York Comic Con starts on Wednesday, on Thursday, October 7th. And don't forget that Roddenberry Podcasts is presenting a panel, The Community According to Star Trek. And that panel is going to be with Sue and Kennedy from Women at Warp, and I'll be joining them for that. And I'm really excited. That's happening on Saturday, October 9th at 2.15 p.m. So don't miss it. It'll be right after the Discovery panel. So rush back over to the Javits Center and be sure to catch that panel. And last but not least, before we move on to gaming news, here are a few headlines that we didn't discuss, but we thought might interest you. Links, of course, will be in our show notes. If you've been on the fence about adding a new streaming subscription plan, perhaps Viacom CBS's latest promotion might incentivize you. For 
$9.99 with commercials or $12.99 without, you can have Paramount Plus and Showtime. This is a permanent price for you so long as you take advantage of it before the October 20th deadline. Also, be sure to use our affiliate links in our show notes. And if you haven't already heard, The Orville Season 3 returns on March 10th, 2022 via Hulu. We are so very excited for the premiere of Season 3. Gosh, I missed that show. Hooray! Really good to hear. Cannot wait. Well, Captains, that's all the news we have to trek out this week. Now, let's find out what happened in the world of Star Trek gaming. Welcome aboard, Captain. Congratulations. High score. Well, it appears something spooky is going to happen in Star Trek Online on October 13th. We don't know what, but there was a cryptic tweet made earlier this week telling us to remember the curse. In the video, we see some type of coat rack or a hat stand and a black inserted images of a possible raven with a creepy clock ticking in the background. What does it all mean? (laughs) I like we can celebrate Halloween if that's what it is early. It's two weeks before Halloween. I mean, we could just celebrate Halloween the whole month of October and that'd be pretty alright. But I kind of have a clue. I think we all got a clue maybe as to what. What? Is. What's the clue? I just figured it was the Bonnie Ken episode. No, Roscoe, you know? You know what I'm talking about? Oh, no, oh. I don't. Okay. I, ha- I have a theory, but I- I'm like, you say it first. <laughs> okay, well, remember when Temporal Agents started and everyone was having that visual error in the tailor for the witch hat and it showed like a bald head and then your hair. No, I have not. Am I taking it? Do you guys in chat remember this? Because I feel like we're getting awesome Halloween costumes. Oh, is that what's happening? We're getting Halloween costumes? All right, all right. I don't, well, that's what I suspect, but oh, see, CalMG, yes, remember, so yeah, they had this whole thing with a, you know, bald head, but then hair on the side. It was a bug? Is that what it was? It was a bug? Yeah, display bug. But it's said witch hat was the option so people were picking it so they uploaded all right all right all right. so hold on let's break this down here a second they uploaded ahead of time something slipped through the cracks called witch hat into the tailor but it was not yet fully rendered in the game yeah correct it just gave you the bald top of your head and hair on the side like huh fascinating well all right halloween costumes it is i hope so that's gonna be so awesome please can we have a fedora (laughs) i was looking at the background in the very short spooky tweet and it looked like the rooms on Boreth and the recent remaster that they've done on oh. Boreth so I thought maybe it's going to take place there because there's lots of supernatural otherworldly things that happen on Boreth so that kind of made sense to me or we we might actually end up going back down to Grethor mm-hmm. or something yeah I don't know Matt Black just saying there's that TOS episode Catpaw well, I, I, I don't was, look. I don't know about episode. you guys, but I saw the black cat and I went deja vu. Whoa! Drink, oh. <laughs> drink. Dang it! All right, I knew, I knew. I saw the black cat and I thought, bet you, Elios, he's gone Matrix on this. I did go Matrix. Guaranteed. On I, mean, I even tweeted about <laughs> it. 
the next installment of the Ships of the Line remastering and repackaging adventure, the Blockade Runner Bundle hits the Zen Store on Friday, October 1st on PC to start. The price is 5,000 Zen, but you can get it for 35% off until October 8th. The bundle, if you choose to purchase it, also includes one ship upgrade token, two experimental ship upgrade tokens, the T1 Blockade Runner Escort, and the T5 Blockade Runner Escort Retrofit, plus the new T6 Appalachia Blockade Runner Escort. Now, I'm talking about the Steam Runner ships. If you got those via Steam and have them, this bundle includes those, plus the new T6 ship. But in what we hope is a new move for Zen Store releases, the T6 Appalachia will also be available as a separate purchase in the Zen Store. So that's new and different. Finally. I know. I'm I'm like, wow, I hope that they're trying out these different methods, but that they really do offer single ships when they have a bundle like this. Anyway, this ship features a 4-3 weapons layout and a Lieutenant Commander Tactical slash Command Bridge Officer Specialist Seat and a Lieutenant Universal slash Intel Bridge Officer Specialist Seat. Plus, it can load dual cannon. And it comes equipped with the Universal Console, the Tri-Cobalt Tear Launcher, plus an experimental weapon slot equipped with whole spike battery. The mastery trait is piercing projectiles, so when you activate a torpedo or mine firing mode, bridge officer abilities will grant a large shield penetration and hull penetration bonus for a short time. Um, I bet you this ship is going to be awesome, but I don't normally fly those steam runners. What do you guys in chat think uh, think about this ship, or what do you guys think about the ship? Are you going to get the bundle? I like the idea of the hull spike battery and then a bonus on shield penetration and hull penetration, because the hull spike battery already, I think I was reading it already has some hole penetration bonuses as well, so it just doubles down on that. That could be fun. Very fun. Yeah, I thought I was reading in the tooltip, it was like plus 200 hole pen. I, I, it's some crazy number. Of course, you know, those are always subject to change, but wow. George was saying that he thinks the ship really... Yeah, I really like the look of it. I completely agree with George. The The update that they've made, it's, it's in line with the... 2410 stylings, but very sleek, looks great. Very much enjoy the um, the curves of of the uh, Appalachia tier six. Right. Do you guys have any of these steam runner ships? See, my problem is I have all of. Well, I have the two, the tier one and the tier five ship already. So I'm really trying. I mean, I guess if it's on sale, it might be okay to get the bundle. But I don't. Know. I don't think That's I have. I don't think I have uh, the the steam runner on any of my characters. No, I don't. Either do I. So, yeah, I, I would probably look at getting this just for fun. You know, what's 35? I'm like, I don't know the math, but 35% off 5,000 is what? 40 something zen? 4,000 something zen? Mm-hmm. Whatever. Math numbers here. <laughs> so so it's, math not, numbers here. it's not the, yeah, I'm like, it's not the worst price. It's actually a pretty fairly priced bundle, I think. I probably will end up getting it. A couple of experimental ship upgrade tokens. Yeah, now we're talking. Yeah. I'm liking that. And the fact, yeah. let's talk about the fact that but what does 5000 zen translate to dollars again 50 dollars us so yeah for 40 ish dollars for 40 you watts get all that yeah. stuff yeah let's talk about the fact that the ship is available on its own for purchase from the zen store cuz that that's good that's this is a very good step forward i feel because it just makes sense to have ships in bundles available separately that makes sense to me as a player who goes i 
can't afford that bundle, but I would like that one in particular. I'll get that one. Not all of them, just the one. Yeah. What do you guys think? This is certainly a, a move in the right direction. I think that players have been quite vocal about the desire to purchase ships that are not bundled, that they are willing to do so. I hope that they will be able to look at this data of these purchases, and I hope that they, if they see that they are in fact making as much money as they would selling it in the bundle, that they will continue to do so. You know, a lot, sometimes corporations, and to my understanding, the people who control these prices and bundles is perfect world and not cryptic. You know, let's be real, more often than not, what they care about is lining pockets, right? They need to hit a bottom line and they need to make a profit. So I hope that they see this and that the data satisfies them enough where players can continue to take advantage of these separate purchases. Sure, you can get it in a bundle for 40 something dollars when it's on sale, or you can buy the ship outright on its own if you don't want any of the other other stuff. I hope that they honor that data and that that trust is maintained. Yeah, so I hope this bundle is popular. Well, no, I hope that the I hope that the individual ship purchase is popular. Well, exactly. Both of those to show like, hey, people will buy the bundle, but they definitely want the ship. So even if you're not making as much look at the number of people that just want the one ship, maybe those numbers will incentivize them to do this more often. Prompted by a recent Stowe Reddit thread, website Massively OP dedicated their Massively Overthinking column on September 23rd to one question. Would you play your favourite MMO without its IP? Many MMOs were on the table for discussion, but there were some interesting opinions on Star Trek Online. Writer Andy McAdams pointed out, quote, I started binging on Star Trek Discovery again and it made me want to play the game, so I downloaded it. But I know I don't particularly enjoy the game and I'm only playing it for the IP. For me, I don't think it would stand on its own, end quote. Another writer, Tyler Edwards, says, quote, I don't think I'd ever have spent any significant amount of time on this game without the IP, end quote. But he hits an important note, pointing out that, quote, what makes the game work is the massive amount of love the people behind it clearly have for the Star Trek universe, end quote. This is a fascinating question um, because, I mean, let's look at the MMO landscape, right? I mean, a lot of MMOs that have come out over the last 10 years, let's say, have been IP heavy, right? I think of DC Universe Online, Cryptic Studios and Neverwinter. Oh, maybe not. Maybe not. Maybe, maybe the MMO universe is not so rich with IP, right? You've got some Star Wars, you've got your Star Trek, got your Magic the Gathering. You had champions that was supposed to be a Marvel's thing, but didn't really end up being champions. I, I, I don't know. For me personally, I, I start playing an MMO mostly because of an IP draw of some sort. Like I think of Secret World Legends for me. Secret World, I was hoping was going to fill the void that was left behind from the Matrix Online, and it didn't really. Right, Secret, the Secret World was very much a combination of you know uh, science fiction, fantasy, Buffy the Vampire. Slayer. 
Slayer mixed with Doctor Who, Timey Wine. You know, it's just weird. Not even not Doctor Who, but um, it was just a very unique game. Although fun and unique, but but the mechanics were still quite a bit off and complicated. Yeah, I had a hard time with the mechanics that game. I wanted to enjoy it. It was just hard for me. Right. To- it just it was really it's really clunky. It just feels clunky. Um, mm-hmm. Although the voice acting and the cinematics are compelling, it just the gameplay gets kind of tiresome. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know that I would play this Star Trek. Let's say, let's call it Star. Let's play it boldly, Galaxy. The MMO. I don't know that I would boldly play Galaxy it. Star Journey. Boldly Galaxy Star Journey. Yeah, I don't know that I would play <laughs> that game. I don't. Maybe. Maybe. I don't know. Yeah, I definitely wouldn't have played except for the IP. I didn't even play video games before I found that game. And then I was like, wait, what? I can have my own starship. <laughs> Sign me up. I just. It's a hard question to ask because some games become the IP, right? And it's like, mm. no, like I just think of Halo, right? Like Halo was a great first person shooter and then that established the IP, right? So I feel like I, now I would play anything that's Halo, right? And But I don't know. This is such a, this is such a deep question, right? Just imagine if the ships all look like Starfleet, but it wasn't, right? Like it was boldly going, what, what do we say? Star Journey? <laughs> Bold, boldly going Galaxy but, Star Journey. Yeah. But you lose a lot of the con. Like, what's the point of boldly going Star Journey stuff? Like, if you don't, like, what's the purpose? You're just, like, running around. I guess the question is what makes a good MMO, right? Like what keeps you is good story. Yeah. Good story or whatever. Yeah. I'm for my experience, Star Trek online is the only MMO that I've really ever put any time into. When I came to the game, I thought, Oh, maybe this is something that I want to play. Do I want to play other MMOs? Then I tried Neverwinter and that didn't quite gel for me. It just wasn't, wasn't my thing. And mostly looking back on it now is because I didn't get the, IP. I wasn't as invested in the IP as I was in Star Trek. And that's one of the reasons why I've stuck with Star Trek Online is because it is a way to role play and have your own captain and go on these adventures in this universe that we're so passionate about. So for me, that makes up a big draw card as to why I keep playing this game and enjoying this game as well. I really enjoy this game because it puts me in that world. Recently, I've been playing on console Destiny 2 and been playing that a little bit more because I've really enjoyed getting back into a first-person shooter. And the lore in that game is so heavy. And again, that's that's a game that has like Halo become its own IP it's just this broad broad world that is so deep I'm constantly finding out new ways new paths in the game and new ways to explore it it is just massive and it's taken and if anything the IP almost has been a a hindrance to me getting fully into the game because there's just so much story right right that's I have that problem too with Mm, it's a great game and I'm really enjoying playing it but the the lore and and the backstory is really really heavy you know I was look uh, uh, in my YouTube feed something popped up but it was a two hour video explaining Destiny lore and I'm like I kind of want to watch that but I don't have time to watch that I'm just going to go and, and shoot some bad guys that's fine with Star Trek thankfully I'm already on board the train I don't have to catch up so that makes playing Star Trek online easier but in answer to the question yeah I don't think if I wasn't already on board the train I'm not sure I would actually get on you know space journeys galaxy star journey right yeah. right you know i just looking 
looking at it from an MMO, like objectively as an MMO, Star Trek Online works. But mm-hmm. I say that, and and that's kind of mediocre, isn't it? You know, to say that oh, it works, it it does its thing. You go in and you fly and you shoot and you get your thing. But you know, some mechanics are quite cumbersome. Like Star Trek, after fifty years, I feel like it's starting to collapse a little under its own weight. Right? You got an R and D system that doesn't really do anything, DOS system that doesn't really do any anything, a reputation system that, you, unless you're a new player, you really don't do much with. Right? And an admiralty system that, although interesting, I think would have been a great thing to do as an interactive mobile game while you're away from your computer. You know, like, you know, little things like that. So I don't know. I don't know that I would stay on this cryptic game because it is two games also. Remember, you have a space platform and you have a ground platform. Comparatively, I love City of Heroes. City of Heroes is a great game. Yeah, and look, some some bright points in the chat as well. Dave Rutley says, I believe that the IP added depth to the MMO. So we're adding depth. Thank you, Dave. Don't apologize. And that's that's a very good point. It gives the game added depth. And now it's like, okay, so the game is 11, coming up on next year, 12 years old. And there's some elements that are 12 years old. There's some elements of the game that are brand new. And some of them are, have just been added along the way. Like the Admiralty system a few years ago was a great idea because it's a way to send your starships off on another adventure. And it's another grindy way to get some excellent rewards but now we're we're moving forward and i i just keep on hoping that the game will continue to move forward and there's a lot of people working very hard on on making sure that happens so yeah i'm i'm continue to be hopeful with the with star trek online that it continues to have a life because again again at the end of the day we like playing it we enjoy playing the game and we keep on going back to it and we keep on putting our money where our mouth is and and spending money and time in the game as well are we i haven't spent money in the game in several months and you know yeah, I spend money. I spend money in the game all the time. Mm-hmm. You know, I think yep. that our ongoing conversation about oh, we miss the story, we miss the story says a lot, right? To this answers a lot to this question, right? Is that mm. the game mechanics that are currently present in Star Trek Online only go so far before we're clamoring for new story, right? Because it is story in the Star Trek universe, right? So I think that says that that you know that commentary that we frequently give says a lot to this question as well. Well, that wraps up gaming news this week. Now let's look on screen to the latest episode of Lower Decks Season 2. On screen. Computer. Set Star Trek Lower Decks Season 2, Episode 8. I, Excretus. On screen. Time to brush up on some holodeck training scenarios. A consultant arrives on the USS Cerritos to run drills that require the lower deckers and bridge crew to swap duties. But with roles reversed and all of canon to draw from, can the crew pass the test? All right, let's get through some statistics. First up, this episode was written by Ann Kim, directed by Kim Arndt, and first premiered on September 30th, 2021. Now, before we get started, Dr. Michael Chan, welcome back to the show. We missed you over the course of these last several episodes of uh, Lower Decks, and we're glad to have you back. Oh, thanks. I appreciate it. I have missed you all as well. I was just kind of doing some family travel, and I wasn't able to join you, but thanks for welcoming me back into the fold. So why don't we start with you, Michael, and 
And why don't we talk about some of the thematic takeaways? I really appreciated this episode for so many reasons. One, I thought the storytelling was really tight. You know, in the past, they have done sort of A, B, A, B, C, multiple levels of storytelling. In this case, it felt to me like a single kind of unified storyline. And in this case, I thought it just worked really well for them to do it that way. There's obviously like a kind of morality storytelling happening as well related to empathy, right? The roles sort of get reversed and people develop this greater appreciation for what the command, you know, folks in command are, are having to do. And then command is developing empathy for what lower decks have to go through. And so I, I thought that the, it, that was just a through line that was there from beginning to end. Like that opening scene is hilarious. <laughs> when Mariner's like, oh, you know, this beautiful scene, it just makes me think about how we're all in it together. Warp away. <laughs> <laughs> they totally get left behind. And the whole storyline is just about empathy, right? Even down to the Borg Queen saying that they assimilated empathy, right? <laughs> so for my part, I just, I thought it was really well done. Were there any specific scenes or sequences that got you most excited? Like you already mentioned the opening. I did like the opening a lot. I thought the bar scene was interesting at the end when, when Mariner and Freeman sort of have that moment of like, oh, this is sort of the team building exercise, right? Like I thought that was a really interesting moment. Obviously, that wasn't the point from the consultant, but I, <laughs> nonetheless, I, I, I appreciated that scene very much. And also Naked Time was just hilarious. Oh my God. <laughs> so, <laughs> I'm sure we'll talk a little more about that. Yeah. <sighs> Anything you would have changed or would have liked to have seen done differently? The consulting character was strange to me. I didn't get what was going on with her. The, you know, the person who like separates into three parts and maybe I'm missing an Easter egg here. Yeah, that's from, that's an episode in the animated series. The episode's called Bem. Bem, yes, that's right, Bem. That's why I don't get it because I haven't seen very many of those. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'll go back to that. Bem. Which we reviewed uh, a, a long while ago. And it, and the character Bem in the animated series is also kind of wacky. And this character on Lower Decks is not nearly as kind of scattered. Haha, <laughs> no pun intended. As Bem was in the animated series. But you could kind of see that they were going for that. That they were going for a, that species is very odd in that way. And they refer to themselves always in the third person. This one. <laughs> Because <laughs> they're like a collective of bodies. Each part acts independently of its own, but it's still unified like a collective. It was a weird explanation that uh, Dr. Robert Hurd was able to, to <laughs> get into when we reviewed that episode. So overall, I think Star Trek often is at its best when it is trying to generate empathy for situations, people, races, whatever it, it might be. And this is a case where both the humor, where the humor supports the serious morality element. At least that was my take on it. Roscoe, let's uh let's go to you next. Why don't you tell us your favorite scene or sequence? Yeah, look, I have to agree with Michael as well in terms of the morality versus the madcap nature. The the humor backs up the morality side of things. We see the senior officers get an appreciation of what it was like to be an ensign. But at the same time, oh my god, look at all the Borg babies. This was our episode this season of leaning in really, really hard and paying tribute to past movies and episodes. This was just like the episode The Rise of Vindicta last year where I've just paid tribute to all of the movies. If anything, it explains now why we have to stack crates correctly. Why are the ensigns always going through and stacking crates? Why is this such a big deal? Because Klingons break their backs. That's why. 
And we now know this. The original Borg Queen. Oh, my God. Chef's kiss. Thank you. That is just... Was that her? Alice. That was her. Yes, Alice Krieg. Alice Krieg. It absolutely was. I thought I recognized the voice, and I was like, is that? Nah, it doesn't sound like her. It's in the credits. Wow. Oh, that's great. That's great. One of my favorite moments when they're really showing the consultant how things go down in Starfleet. And just, there sure are a lot of crystalline entities here today. It's the crystalline entities over there, and there's a few more crystalline entities over there. How many more times can we cram in the word crystalline entities? A lot. I love it. I love every bit of it. So that was a real highlight for me. Anything that uh, you would have changed or you would have liked to have seen done differently? I'll tell you what I would have liked to have seen. Can I say something that may be controversial? I'm a little bit done. I'm a little getting a little bit over the mirror universe. I'm there with you, Roscoe. <gasps> We've explored it a lot. We've seen it a lot lately. And it seems like we're going there a lot for storytelling recently. The fact that the Cerritos went to the Mirror Universe, I'm like, yeah, okay. I don't know. I'm, I'm hanging for a little bit more. Let's do some callbacks to Enterprise. Mariner, I want to see her hang out with Captain Archer or Trip. Some of those scenarios, you know, what really is going on with T'Pol's hair? So that that's my, I'm a little bit over the, t the Mirror Universe. A bit more Enterprise, please. And overall review or rating? Great episode. Thoroughly enjoyed it. There's so many moments that are callback, callback, callback after callback. And yeah, it's it's done very well. And all within the story as well. Four out of five. The more this show goes on and the more I watch it, the more I pay attention to what I laugh at, what I cringe at, and what I ultimately end up enjoying. And I remember saying this last week that, you know, I think one of the reasons why I like for instance, last week's episode where Mariner and Boimler were on a mission was that the mission was a serious thing, was an actual mission that had humor injected to it. This is one of the reasons, and I, I said this on After Hours, I like the Orville especially season two of the Orville and the latter half of season one, where the plot was a relatively serious plot and the humor just happened to be there, right? It, it was injected naturally instead of the coming out of the gates in a blaze of absurdity and then trying to be funny on top of that. Right. And so for this episode, I'm with you, Michael, that yes, the, the story was very cohesive. It was very linear. Everything just worked together well, even though we were in def different scenes, right? Boimler was in the holodeck. We had the bridge crew in lower decks. And then we saw Mariner, Tendi, and, and Rutherford on their own, right? So we had three different groups happening, but still the same storyline. And then one of the moments where I cringed was in the Naked Now sequence, right? Where Shax is spread eagle on the bar of the of 10 forward. Oh no, that was Boimler. Hard to forget. Oh, Boimler, right. It was Boimler. So now I even more I'm cringy at it. Shax was being climbed all over by Tana. <laughs> Covered in scratches, did you notice as well? Yes! <laughs> little scratch on his foot. Oh my god. She's I climbed died. that cat pole before. And although I did laugh, <laughs> and although I did find it funny, there was a part of me that just was like, alright, look, I get it that in, in both the original series and in TNG, these episodes were quite absurd, but I don't know that I like it that Star Trek makes fun of it. You know, like it's just, if the Orville made fun of it, I'd be like, ha ha ha, you know, because again, it's not Star Trek. But the fact that Lower Decks is aggressively 
making fun of the naked now. I don't know. It just kind of pulled me out. And in such a crazy and very, very graphic way. Like it was a, that was a graphic (laughs) sequence. (laughs) I don't know. It just, it didn't quite land on me, land for me. So Ilio, can I ask you a question? And partly I'm just trying to get that scene out of my mind because it is so disturbing. (laughs) So like early on in this season, um, I think it was with episode two, Keishon, his eyes open. You kind of wondered about like, were the callbacks so kind of deeply set in canon that only sort of fans would get it and that it would be difficult for people outside of, you know, our little fan club to understand it. Did you get that sense from this episode? Because this was like callback heavy. This was callback heavy. I mean, to the point where you had like episode names listed on the board, you know? Yes, yes, yeah. And uh, you know what's interesting? The fact that you didn't know who that alien was, right? So that was something that you missed because you are not as familiar with with the animated series as you are with other series. And so that whole joke or the whole callback to that, you missed, right? You didn't really get it. True. I think that in this particular case and this this episode, that might have also happened, right? If, if people are not familiar with The Naked Now from TNG, then that was just an absurd sequence of Boimler's spread eagle and Shaq's getting scratched up by uh, Dr. Tana. Oh, there was some other stuff. Yeah. In there was there. a lot more than that. <laughs> oh my God. It's a lot going on. I've purposely, like, I guess those were the ones that have traumatized me enough. <laughs> Wasn't the Horgon scene? Oh man, that was hilarious. Yeah, you know, the Borg was a little more, um, the Borg scene was a little more, I think, accessible, right? I think people know of the Borg, right? Even if you don't know Star Trek, you know that this is a villain that they face. Similarly to the way I know that Darth Vader is a villain, you know, the Sith are villains, right? Yeah, I would say that this episode might have suffered from that as well. But then also it's an opportunity now, Michael, for you, because you know which episode to seek out in the animated series. To get that reference, you've got an opportunity now to go and watch that episode, come back and maybe watch this episode of Lower Decks again, and all of a sudden you're getting the joke. You're you're in on the fun, so it's an invitation. Yeah. But the problem, though, is, is that what about people who aren't like Michael, who are, aren't talking, who don't have the opportunity or the community to talk about Star Trek with, right? That somebody who doesn't have another friend who may be a little, you know, who may have watched all of the animated series go, oh, but did you, did you see Bam on the animated? They're not going to know, right? So for them, it's just another alien. But I still think there was enough comedy chops in that performance to enjoy it. Yeah. You don't necessarily have to get the reference. There was still enough in the physical comedy, you know, the head flying around because the the body comes apart into three separate pieces. There was enough comedy there. You're still brought along for the ride. So if you don't immediately get that, I think I think that's still okay. In this episode, yes. In this episode, yes. But like the one you mentioned before, Michael, the... Kayshawn, his eyes open. Kayshawn, his eyes open. That one was very heavy. That one was like really dependent on a lot of... Because, you know, you're in a mausoleum of or a a menagerie of nothing but Easter eggs, right? So people who don't remember the animated series aren't going to realize and remember that the giant Spock skeleton was actually a giant Spock, was Spock. 
as a giant. With respect to what I would have done differently, I don't know. I would have, I don't know that I would have done much differently with this episode. Maybe, maybe, yeah, maybe the holodeck callbacks wouldn't be so dependent on previous canons. And again, making fun of it, right? The point of it is to make fun of it and say, this was stupid. This was absurd. Now let's make a joke out of it. I don't know. I have a hard time with accepting Star Trek making a joke of itself in the same universe. Why is the holodeck programmed with everybody's naked version? Isn't that a HIPAA violation? Transporters. Transporters got your record, man. The only way that the holodeck can get anatomically correct is if you tied in the medical records of people. It's like that DS9 episode where Quark's tried to get a hollow image of yes. Akira. <laughs> I just brought that one up because we were talking about Jeffrey Combs and he plays the alien that yeah. wants the image of Kira. And remember yes. at the end when they reprogram it so that she has Quark's yes. head? Yes. <laughs> I, I do remember that. Um, I don't want to, but I do remember. But yeah, I think that's a that's a Starfleet HIPAA violation. I don't want my gonads showing all over the place. Well, that can be explained away because the consultant did a bad thing. Right. She was there right, for her right, own right, means. Right. So obviously she's she's accessed the data surreptitiously and has, has done a bad thing. So she's violated you in that particular way. Kat, how about you? What were your favorite sequences for this episode? Well, I love that it had a cold open because we haven't had one in a couple episodes. So I always love a good cold open. And this one was hilarious. It was so funny. <laughs> I thought Naked Time was hilarious. <laughs> I think I'm channeling Ro Dr. Robert Hurt and saying, you know, don't be such a prude. Maybe they need to bring like sexuality and all of that is a part of being human or not human. All species do all of that. So maybe we need to be a little more open minded. <laughs> maybe not spread eagle on the bar, but... <laughs> But maybe. I mean, do whatever, right? So going with Robert's inclination is like, sure, that was fine. And also the Horgon episode or bit at the end. <laughs> yes, that one was great. Why do I not remember the Horgon bit? What Horgon bit? Oh, with uh, Stevens and um, Ransom. Oh, no, 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 no. Where it's like, I don't know where you begin and I, I don't want to remember. I don't want... Where you begin and I end. <laughs> I loved it. Okay, I thought that was hilarious. I loved it. I just thought, wow, like a, you know, efficiency expert or, you know, we're going to do these training scenarios. What a fun and interesting, creative way to do all of the callbacks that we got to see. Even if you think Mirror Universe has been overdone, but it's like part of Trek now. So, of course, they have to have them. I mean, they've done other Mirror Universe bits, but I like that it was the original series universe mirror universe speaking of that that one moment where just just after rutherford fails to open the door you see that the constitution class from a distance and then blow up that was a nice little <laughs> with, such a great... with, his boots, <laughs> boots. with his boots on his hands <laughs> Oh my God, Tindy! <laughs> here's a, here's another like point of ignorance, maybe. So Tindy's in there. She's supposed to kill the Klingon guy, right? And that's obviously a reference back to when Worf breaks his back, or you know, the the people in the red suits, right, with the head covering, who come and and uh, basically say, "Oh, you did it! You did it wrong." What's the ref? What's the suit reference? They're the surgeons. That's their scrubs. Like their scrubs are those red. Like Pulaski was in like red scrubs. That's right. That's right. Kind that's of right. yeah. Kind of hand. Maid's tailish, but except no crazy hat. Those were the scrubs that Dr. Crusher and the other consultant who came in to help with Worf's back 
were wearing when they performed surgery on him. So I remember yep. that now. Yeah, and then when Jean-Luc had to have his heart thing and they had to call Pulaski in, she had those scrubs then too. So is there anything that you would have done differently, Cap? No, I know. I never have anything productive to say on that, <laughs> that question. No, it was, it was a really good episode. I do like that even though they, you know, people had individual time, you do feel like you're you're watching the whole crew be together and that was you know you get a good feeling where they're like yeah we got you consultant <laughs> crazy lady you know but they all work together because they're like oh you're not gonna mess with us and your star rating one out of one out of five i gave it a four well i think that's a good place to wrap up this episode's review of i excretus what a name poor 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 boimler Boimler gets excretus of Borg. Oh my god, and then the queen's like, you need to drink more water. <laughs> Why didn't they call him excretus of Borg, though? I didn't quite get it. I thought that's how he introduced himself. I am excretus of Borg. He did. Yeah, he, when he comes out. Yeah. He did. I meant in the title, though. They should have just called it excretus of Borg. <laughs> oh, because of IHU, I guess. Yeah, yeah, I think that's right, IHU. That wraps up this week's On Screen for Star Trek Lower Decks. Now let's open hailing frequencies and see what's incoming. Message coming in, sir. Hailing frequencies. Open. See, we are getting to know each other. Well, Captains, hailing frequencies are now open, and we're ready to receive all of your incoming messages. This week, we got a voicemail from Kimara Ironhand. Let's have a listen. Why, hello, I'm listening to episode 522, all trailers, no trivels, it's Star Trek Day, and a note on the stow, Star Trek Online stuff. Go pick on Cryptic Studios and ask them why there are no Orions for the Federation. We need Fed Orions, that's right, because, you know, in Star Trek, in the J.J. Abrams Star Trek, Uhura's roommate is an Orion who's boffing uh, Kirk, and and they're all real popular. And we need we need Orions in Starfleet because only only the cartels went over to the Klingons in Star Trek Online. There's still Orions wandering around, being good Fed citizens, which is a strange thing. But hey, they have fun, and they're in Starfleet, and and they do stuff. They can't be completely untrusted. Let's do it. I have to admit to you something, Kamara. When you first started talking, I was a little nervous. And then you continued on. And it was a delightful voicemail. I am so glad that you took advantage of our SpeakPipe uh, widget on our website and left us a message, especially this one. Uh, look, man, I'm with you. I'm with you. Let's get Orion's in Starfleet Academy. And thank you for the voicemail. Seriously. I hope it's not the last time you do. Yep. Call us again. That was delightful. I love, love your opinion to have more Orion's in Starfleet. Yes, let's do that. I actually did make attendee uh, using an alien, so I have a Romulan-like character, but I hear what you're saying. I would like an actual Orion as well. You can kind of build an Orion in Starfleet right now uh, using the alien, but it's not quite the same. And you can have an Andorian, you can have a Vulcan, so, you know, which extra trait would you give to an Orion if you had them in Starfleet? Would it be a little bit different to what the Klingon Orions have? That would be fun. So, well worth exploring. So, yes, thank you very much for the voicemail, and please leave us a voice voicemail or through the Priority One website. Well, that wraps up episode 525 of Priority One. 
a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. But there are more great shows available to you on the Roddenberry Podcast Network. Just visit podcasts.roddenberry.com for a complete list. Then be sure to subscribe to them all and share them with your friends. But we can't forget to send a special thank you to some of our Patreon supporters, like David K. Rutley, Peter Archibald, and Gerald Botch. Captains, it is important to us that you get your voice heard. And, like you heard a moment ago, you can leave us a voicemail, because we love it when you participate in the conversation. Leave us a comment on our website, on our social media platforms, visit us over at PriorityOnePodcast.com and use the SpeakPipe widget, or heck, use the voice voice memo feature on your phone and email it to us to incoming at priority one podcast.com. And if you're still craving more, be sure to spend time with Winters, Anthony, Thomas, Gray, me, plus the rest of the Priority One Armada. Saturday nights, the Armada broadcasts live to review the latest news from Star Trek Online and the Armada community, including spotlighting some of our amazing members. With regular giveaways, there's something for all Stowe players, whether you're new or a veteran. Follow us on all our social media accounts for broadcast times, and if you'd like to join the Armada, visit PriorityOneArmada.com. This episode of Priority One is brought to you by our patrons through patreon.com. Captains, we are humbled by the ongoing support that we continue to receive from listeners like you who find value in the content that we produce each and every week. To find out all the cool perks we have to offer and to continue to support the show, visit us over at patreon.com forward slash priority one. And don't forget to tune in to Priority One Productions Guard Frequency Podcast at guardfrequency.com. Each episode, the guard will take you inside the universe of your favorite space sims, including a tabletop adventure played out by your hosts. And Heroes Rise brings you up to date with the world of Dungeons and Dragons. Learn all about the latest publications, tools, tips, tricks and traps in less time than it takes to skin a wyvern. Head over to heroesrisepodcast.com to discover their secrets. Thanks to our audio editors including Gray, Brandon, William, Rand, Alex and Lennon. Thanks to our producer Jake and associate producers Shane and Thomas. Together they help us organize and write up our summary of the weekly headlines from the Star Trek multiverse. Thanks to our graphic artist, Alejandro, with support from Jason of the Priority One Armada. Thanks to our social media managers, Sarah and James. Thanks to the composer of our theme music, Chris Watts. But most importantly, a big thanks to you, the Star Trek community, our listeners. Because without your ongoing support, none of this would be possible. Enemy ship on sensors. Red alert. Ready weapons. Engage. Engage. Well, Captains, that's all the news we have to trek out this week. Now, let's find out what happened. It's one of those days. One of those days, folks. You know, you just got to roll with it. It was the chaos early on. It was the chaos. So this, basically, this is your fault, Elio. This is your fault. 
I'm like, Miles O'Brien in here. I'm caused to suffer. Speaking of a, gonna play my violin. Speaking of a Kiva Goldsman. That how bad I have it. You, know, you, ha- you still have the DOF system that hasn't been touched in ages. You have a reputation window that also hasn't been touched in ages. Got Elio. He hasn't been touched in ages. <laughs> sorry. Oh, couldn't help it. I couldn't help it. I'm sorry. I'm not sorry. I'm, I'm mostly sorry. Well. <laughs> I can't even. Oh, that was geez. that was that was that was a pretty slick burn. I got. <laughs> I was not expecting it. And <laughs> it just you. It just came out of nowhere like a like a submarine missile. Damn! I got nothing now. I got that's it. I'm done for the night. I'm out. Peace. <laughs> um. Sorry. Sorry. Continue. Go on. Continue. Got, what was I saying before? I was so before I was so inappropriately interrupted. In so many ways, I, I loved this episode. I thought it was tight storytelling. In the past, we've, we've talked a little bit about how there are kind of... Sorry, I have to pause here. There's something going on in the background of my noise. Okay, so it's yeah, a washing sure. machine. Who's doing laundry? <laughs> Told you. Turn the dryer off. Housework doesn't take a holiday, guys. Really to find the time. This is why we got a robot vacuum cleaner, and I have never been happier. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. So good. Roger does an excellent job. This is a Roddenberry podcast. For more great podcasts, visit podcast.roddenberry.com.